My name is BJ Council. I view the world through the lens of having been followed by a white clerk as a child while shopping in a five and dime. I'm a retired police executive and own UN50, which gives guidance on surviving interactions with police. I'm Harmony Chavis, and I view the world through the lens of one of the most misunderstood and diverse generations in our nation's history. I'm a social worker and a believer of radical kindness and love as modalities of healing. My name is Andrew Council. I view the world through the lens of a generational camera phone. I wake up as a black male and go to bed as a black male. I am surviving this never-ending court case we commonly call life in the best way I know how. Welcome back to you and 5 uh, Hope you guys have had you know, nice few days. We've been away for a couple of weeks. I think everybody remembers that we're not doing weekly podcasts now. We're just doing every other weekend, unless something comes up that we feel like we need to do, uh, bring some attention to, at least give our opinions on. We'll just kind of keep it at every other week. Uh, so before I introduce our guest, um, just want to check in with Harmony and Andrew to see what you guys have been doing the last couple of weeks. Drew? Um, I'm trying to think. Last couple of weeks, I've been focusing on trying to um, secure a full-time job after graduation. I'm a senior, so that's one of the main things I've been looking for. I'm trying to start early. I know some people are like, that's early. It's only, but yeah, you'd be surprised. <laughs> yeah. so, um, so I've been going to virtual career fairs and reaching out to people and connecting, trying to build my network before I graduate. That's all. Okay, cool. Great. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you need somewhere to live, can't give you no money, but you can come stay here for a little while. <laughs> hey, why did I never get that offer? <laughs> No fair. Oh, no, right. What's up? Yeah, Harmony, what you been up to? Drew, you are so proactive. Like, I love that. My first job after graduation, I made less than the job I was working when in college. So I was making $10 an hour. And I remember just thinking, like, there's no way I'm going to make it in adulthood. Um, but I'm good. Um, you know, just... I think just trying to find this new balance of like actually working from nine to five again or nine to six, which is not what Dolly Parton said. I was, this is a scam. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so things have been good. Uh, work is going great. Really excited to, to be here with you guys tonight. Um, believe it or not, BJ, I really miss you oh. um, when you're not around. So, you know, this is a nice moment to catch up and also um, I, I love these conversations. I feel like they always bring a new perspective and one I haven't thought of before. So I'm excited to see how this continues to develop. Cool. Thank you very much. So what, what, one of the things that we talk about, I think most people know that I really try to stay in the lane of the popo lane because that's just kind of what I do and, and figuring out how to not only help individuals interact with law enforcement and survive those interactions, we're also trying to think about how to help communities figure out a way to talk to their law enforcement agencies to get the kind of agency that they want that is going to reflect their culture, not just the culture of law enforcement, but the culture of the community that they serve and the philosophy. So that's kind of part of what we want to do at, with UN50. So being in Durham, one of the greatest organizations that we have here is called CAN, Congregation Associations and Neighborhoods. And we have two individuals here with us today to talk about that. And one of the things that I think I want us to, the conversation, while it, it may talk a little bit about law enforcement, mainly what they're gonna help us figure out and, and what the work that they do is org around organizing. So how do you organize to get the things that you want to be part of your community to, to help you figure out what that looks like? How do you get involved? How they help communities and organizations and associations and neighborhoods? How do they do that? So. Um, 
So I'm going to let them do a, a little bit of introduction of themselves, um, but you can read that when we do our promotion of, of the podcast. We'll have that information for you. But first, I want to introduce you to Tenyu uh, Diver. Um, she is the lead organizer and executive director of Durham Can, uh, and I've known her for a few years. Uh, and one of the things she uh, she did when we were talking before we started, she didn't talk about that she does documentaries. And so, uh, and I think is award-winning, has actually won one for her, one of her documents. But the one I'm really looking forward to is the one that she's going to do on people of color who do brewery, microbrewery. And that's the one, I'm getting ready to put her on a spot this time, because I'm going to be like, can I be in that, even if it's just sitting at the table holding a brew, I want to be <laughs> I want to be on that one. Yeah, and, and with her, yeah, and with her today is also and is Tim Connor, uh, who is uh, with also with Can, and he's been organizing with them for fifteen years, and he's part of the strategy team. So first, uh, Tim, you, and then uh, uh, Tim, if you introduce yourself, and then we'll start with the questions. Sure. Um, good to be with y'all. Thanks for the invitation. Thanks for having. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, you know, I, I'm new to Cannes, um, not new to Durham. So um, my first introduction to Durham was as a college student when I came to UNC Chapel Hill uh, in the fall of '99, and you know, landed on campus um, after uh, having grown up in Maryland, outside of DC and Prince George's County, um, which is where I grew up. I was born in Boston uh, to to Nigerian immigrant parents who came to the U.S. from Nigeria in 1975 um, and were, were greeted by the racial violence going on in Boston uh, in response to school desegregation. Um, but, you know, they relocated to Maryland, grew up there, so came to UNC as a student. Um, and that's when I learned, you know, that Southern is a relative term. You know, it's like a sliding, <laughs> sliding scale. Right. Um, and then, um, came back um, after finishing school and after moving to actually moving to Boston to work, moved back. And um, documentary was my reintroduction to, to Durham um, through the Center for Documentary Studies, which is where I did my certificate in documentary arts and where my creative community um, really um, is based and fomented. And so um, done a few short films, some audio, and I'm currently working on my first feature um, documentary film called This Belongs to Us. Oh. Um, about the craft of beer and how a craft that began in Africa in the East uh, by women <laughs> became synonymous with white, blue, collar, male identity in the yes! U.S. Yes! Okay, sorry. Really <laughs> focused on Black beer brewers in the Southeast um, and, uh, and then began working with Can last year in 2019. And so um, I've spent uh, most of my time with Can organizing with residents in Durham Housing Authority communities, which is our public housing um, uh, authority for those not familiar with um, Durham. And um, now that I'm the lead organizer, my, you know, kind of have a more of a 5,000 foot, you know, view on all of our work, including um, our um, lots of different things going on with our affordable housing um, around evictions, repairs, inspections, um, as well as our criminal justice um, reform action team, um, which has been right now really focused on COVID and trying to get transparency about what's going on inside of the, the Durham Detention Center. Right. Um, and then um, our Jobs and Living Wage Action Team, which Reverend, uh, Reverend Dr. Tim Condor is co-chair of. So. I did my uh, ser I had sermon series on beer at one point in time, and beer is the source of culture because I think apparently was in Egypt, right? They, they, when you had the ability to store grain, 
then you could develop culture, right? You could, because you didn't have to get food all the time. The, the, your uh, whole day could develop, and beer was one of the. I think is that true, Steve? One of the one of the results of that. But anyway, I'm, I I uh, my life in Durham. Uh, I founded uh, what I would call an activist faith community in, in Durham called Emmaus Way around 2005. And the community is still a big part of Durham Can and led by some amazing people. I, I uh, passed it on about two years ago to a, a gifted successor. But one of my dreams was to uh, pastor a, a congregation that was focused on great diversities, but, but living those out in, in social action and, and changing the structure of, of, the, the society that we lived in. And so uh, Durham CAN became a vehicle for that. And I have uh, organized with CAN since the very beginning of Emmaus Way. Uh, the, some of the work that I've done on CAN uh, was uh, early on was in criminal justice work in terms of uh, with uh, council member, then clergy person, uh, Mark Anthony Middleton in terms of uh, search and uh, 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 written consent to search. And then I also worked uh, with Metro IF on a, a campaign called Do Not Stand Idly By that was focusing on using market forces to limit gun violence. So mm. those are some of the things that I kind of cut my teeth on. Um, I have a, another life besides organizing. I'm a, a semi-academic, uh, so I, I teach at University of North Carolina some and focus on things. Tinu and I have some similarities. I teach ethnography and the qualitative research, research that happens through stories and telling the stories of the, the lives of communities and uh, as a, a liberative practice. So I do that. And I also have founded a school called the Black Mountain School of theology and community that uh, that teaches institutions how to do organizing and 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 how to reflect theologically on social change so wow wow i know we've got some pretty impressive storytellers this is this is so exciting <laughs> i know i don't even know where to start i think i want to um I, I think i just want to toss out since uh, reverend uh, you talked about uh, something around law enforcement yeah. And, the, and, you know, kind of in this moment that, where we are, how, like I said, what I want to try to figure out is how to help people, how do they organize to get the police department or the kind of, with everything going on, how do they, once they're finished protesting, how do they figure out how to come into the building and, and, and start identifying what it is that they, those expectations that they have? What, what would that look like in, in organizing that for a community? Was that for me? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, one of the other things that I should say is a little bit about the texture of my life is my my research was on the moral movement in North Carolina. Um, mm -hmm. So I did a five-year ethnography of that, and it's more of a protest-based and social movement style organizing, which I respect greatly. Um, the the work that 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 Tinu and I and others do in Durham can is is broad based organizing and, and uh, it's not that protest and things like that uh, don't matter but what drew me to it was the ability to marshal power to make change that was the thing that uh, if you were to ask me what made me frustrated as a early 40s person who had worked in churches and things like that. It's like, I just don't see any social change. I don't know who knows how to do this. Mm -hmm. And when I stepped into broad-based organizing, my first reaction was, oh, these are the people that know how to do this. Um, I was on a call last night uh, uh, or last week with organizers up and down the East Coast. And um, 
an organization that we're related to in uh, Virginia, Northern Virginia and um, in uh, Maryland was talking about how they had done an incredible campaign to uh, to get rest restorations of licenses and yeah. and also very similar to ours in terms of ending things like cash mail. Mm -hmm. And part of that is and um, and Tinu's the expert on this, but one of the things that is critical is you can't make things happen without power. Well-intended people don't often act on their on their good intentions. And, you know, being in a progressive community like Durham, uh, people tend to think, okay, it's going to go well there because everybody's working for a president. But we organize against progressives all the time who have, you know, good sentiments, but, um, but you know, investment still is white. It's still focused on white communities. It, it's it, uh, ask Haiti how long they've been waiting for the mm -hmm. street project uh, site to be redeveloped. And so that's our work is to intrude on a conversation between often the government and the corporate sector and say the civic sector has something to say about how life should go in this community. And, and when power is marshaled, money or people, that's when you start seeing significant changes, whether it's policing or housing or all of those things. And so that's, that's the, the, the story of our work is to gain enough power to, um, to, uh, to enact kind of our beloved community vision that we want to see in, in Durham and other places. Awesome. I have a, a question for you, Reverend. So when we're thinking about broad spectrum organizing and protesting organizing, like you had said before, what do you think is the major difference or what do you think, I guess, would give that broad based um, organizing a little bit of leverage on that protesting or how do we bridge those together? I hope that question makes sense. Harmony, that's a great question. I'll, I'll tell one quick story on this. When I was in national training, uh, learning to do broad-based organizing, um, uh, Tinu and I have a friend, Terrell, uh, in, in, uh, in Baltimore, who works with, with Metro IF. And Terrell is a, a fighter. And he is a man who knows exactly how. In fact, in, in organizing in Baltimore, they've often had people say, we'll let you have your way if you don't bring Terrell along. <laughs> 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 that means because right. as I've got created a reaction. But in our training, um, somebody had made a point, uh, a national leader, that protest and social movement and big activity is, is, is not very valuable. And Terrell stood up and said, you know, I don't agree with you because ask the people in Mississippi when it came to integrating schools, uh, what it would have meant if, if the, if, if uh, local forces, uh, uh, people uh, weren't marshaled to change the courts and change that action. And I think that is very valuable work. I would never put it down uh, because in some ways that's been one of the great legacies of the NAACP in North Carolina is mm -hmm. their work in the courts, their work in voting. But if you want to get affordable housing in Haiti it's often not going to be a grand demonstration that's going to, to get that done, right? Gotcha. It's going to be, and one little quick metaphor on this is part of my experience in, in the moral movement, I was arrested and I was arrested doing civil disobedience outside of the, the um, kind of the golden doors of the North, North Carolina legislature. Okay. <laughs> in, in the work that Tinu and I do, we don't necessarily want to be arrested outside the doors. We want to be in the room. 
where people are making those decisions. We want to be in that space with, with authenticity and the sense of representing the lives of people that we listen to. And so beautiful things happen in the movement, and I'm really excited to have been a part of that. But often some of the things that we're most excited about have been that in the ground, listening to the lives of people, uh, meeting people relationally one-on-one, and that's where the sometimes the most meaningful changes in our life have occurred. Does that get at your question? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what I hear you saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that basically protesting is not the end. We kind of have to take it a step further and actually get in the room. And I've heard BJ say that before as well. Like we need to be in the room. I guess my next question for you, Reverend, would be how are we training local Durham residents to get in the room themselves so that they can continue like sustainable organizing without the help of Durham CAN? Right. And that's a, 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 a Harmony, I can, I, I, your experience in this exudes from your questions. Uh, and that, that's just a fantastic question. One of the things that we're utterly committed to doing is not organizing for people, but organizing with people, right? That, that's, that's one of the tests that we ask ourselves is, like, for example, Tinu, you have great stories on this, but her work in Hoover Road and McDougal Terrace uh, not only unearthed leaders, uh, people who were already leading, but found people who could lead but didn't know that they could lead. Mm-hmm. One of the telltales that, that we evaluate ourselves is, are there leaders coming along b- b- beside us? And right. are we creating space in our organization for those leaders? And are people going away, like, for example, in criminal justice work, it's uh, some of our colleagues have, um, who, uh, for example, in one wake in Wake County have spent, you know, years incarcerated. And they somewhere in that experience learned how to organize, they mm-hmm. learned how to lead and take their experience, which is so meaningful, and pass it on to others. So Harmony, that's a great question. That's when we're not producing leaders and when we're not working with people, we feel like we're failing. Great. And I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Tenu, we had a kind of a mini podcast the other day. Yeah. You know, exactly. <laughs> we really did. Yeah, we did. And I kind of want you to, I want to kind of bring some of that conversation in here because you kind of told me, and I used the, I think I used the term, I think the, uh, Harmony may have just said something about how do you get the, you told me not to do it, but I'm going to say it. Oh, How do you, uh, yeah. okay. But I'm going to say it anyway. Yes. And, and, but, you, but educate me so I can learn not yeah. to continue to say it. So what I said to her was, how, how do you get the voices, basically of the ones that we don't hear, into the room? What does, what does that look like? You know, so the, the folks that are, that are needing this or out there going to work every day, they can't go to meetings. You know, they just, you know, all, they're doing, all they can do is do what they do. So how is it that can helps that and then she told me this great story about a woman in Hoover Road with no water that you know because of the work that you know so tell that story because that kind of for me it was like oh yeah that's you know I mean can is always as far as I've come but there's been a really great organization for this community where you do your organizing and getting people involved so kind of just kind of help us with that yeah yeah I think what I I think it was the the phrase was like I, I what I was saying was how I hate when people use the phrase 
about being a voice for the voiceless. Yeah. And I said, no, it's not really about that. You just need to pass the mic. Like that's, that's the problem. It's like people just don't be passing. Yes, the pass the mic. Pass the mic. Would it be full of Kanye and you know whatever? Like, yes, you should put that on a T-shirt. Pass the mic. I would buy it. Like that, you know, because and I think you know, I think what Reverend, uh, you know, Condor was speaking to, you know, response to Harmony's question is making these distinctions between kind of these different theories of change, right? And so. Um, a lot of my work um, with CAN was framed by not just what was going on in Durham, but it was understanding that for a lot of our uh, member institutions, which are not exclusively religious institutions, but largely religious institutions, a lot of their approach, their theory of change has been about relief, right? So, you know, book baths, hot dogs, Bible studies, Easter programs, you know, like that has been kind of the theory of change that a lot of our religious institutions have led, but realizing that that doesn't really address underlying, you know, conditions and circumstances of, well, why do people, why do we have to keep dropping off these boxes of food? You know, why do we have to keep bringing book bags, you know, every year? Why, you know, don't folks have, you know, enough, you know, why do we have to give out utility assistance? Yep. Why yep. don't people yes. pay their water bills, right? Yes. And then you've got advocacy, which is, you know, what you're referring to, BJ, which is literally like being of the vo being someone else's voice. The word advocate comes from that root word, Latin word, which means voice. Okay. So if you have an advocate, a lawyer, et cetera, I'm literally the person who's standing up in front of the judge, in front of whoever, speaking on behalf of someone else, right? And so that, and that is a place for that, you know, and we're, and I'm grateful for, organizations and entities that pr particularly provide those services in the form of like representation in court and things like that and impact litigation. But what the challenge there, um, I think to Harmony's point is that the, the advocate, right, kind of becomes the focus mm -hmm. of the, the action um, as opposed to the person whose, whose issue is kind of central to it. Um, and then, you know, Reverend Condor was talking about mobilizing versus organizing. I think the other thing I was thinking about when you were answering that, um, Reverend Condor, was that I think with mobilizing in protests, you're often moving people who already agree with you, mm. right? You're not necessarily yes. convincing people to come to this Black Lives Matter march. They're like, oh, we there. Like, what? Saw it on Facebook, we there, you know? <laughs> right. um, whereas broad-based, I think both the joy and the challenge of broad-based is that you are trying to move people who you may not agree on a lot of things, right? And you can find a lot of things to disagree on, but you've been able to identify these areas of, of common self-interest that you agree to, to work on and move forward on. Um, and so, um, which is definitely messier, but, you know, and I think the thing for me as an organizer, being an organizer and being an artist, um, you know, so even artists aside, I think one of the most important things for me as an organizer has been people feeling like they can bring their whole selves to the work. Yes. Regardless of who they are, what they do with their background. So if you're a statistician or you're a, a virologist or you're a general contractor or you're a teacher or a DJ or you got a food truck or whatever, like seeing a place for whatever it is that you bring uniquely in the work. Because I think that there's this idea, you know, I probably had that idea before I mean, was an organizer. Uh-oh, did I? My, sorry, my screen just did some, some moving thing. Um, I probably have this idea that, you know, to be an organizer, you have to be built a certain way and wake up, like, punch in the air, and super <laughs> intense all the time. And, like, most people who know me and can will know, will, and, I'm, and I'm sure I come across that way, you know, particularly the elected officials um, <laughs> who are always running ACMA. But most people who know me can know, like, I'm a ham, I'm always cutting jokes, like, I'm just, you know, I'm a, I'll start crying in a sec, like, you know, I'm all, I'm the complexity of all that, right? Um, and so I think people need to see, like, 
you like who you are and what you bring is enough in, in, in my work is how do I develop your leadership, right? That's the work of leaders is to develop the leadership of other people, not just to show like how competent you are and hey, hey, look at that, look what I can do. And right. so for me, what that's meant as an artist is how do I leverage, um, to your point, like how do I think about doing this work in a way that's different and feels unique to me? And so in the case of like um, a Sherry Hoover Road, um, you know, her leadership, seeing her leadership developed, right, in the work and the organizing that we were doing there, which basically was, um, you know, one-on-one -on -one meetings that grew into a listening session that grew into residents doing a public resident inspection um, wow. of units, you know, about half of the occupied units at Hoover Road, they took over 100 photos of wow. just the state of chronic disrepair of those units and then had a, a meeting with um, Mr. Scott, uh, the CEO of the Durham Housing Authority, um, to basically do one large maintenance request since he was kept ignoring um, all of the individual mm -hmm. requests that they did. Right. Um, yes. And, um, but it was also about how they are able to narrate their lives and their stories. Because one of the other things that, you know, we talk a lot about organizing about anger and the importance of anger in terms of giving us that information about, all right, well, what are the things that grieve us, right? Because that mm -hmm. every word, uh, anger, you know, it, it translates to grief. So, on, uh, so often anger and grief are two sides of the same coin. But mm -hmm. I think just as important is to name joy and to name the fact that even in these communities, in these challenges, there's, there's a lot of joy, there's, you know, like a lot of, you know, connection, a lot of support some of the smartest people I've met, some of the most creative entrepreneurial people I've met, mm -hmm. I've ever met, um, folks who are literally doing the work that, quite honestly, the German Housing Authority should probably be doing. Um, yeah, I said it. Call them out, call them out. <laughs> what I said. Um, but that should be doing for the residents and for the children that live in those communities. Um, and, so, um, and so in the case, so what I found is there's been the work that we've done there, but then now, particularly now in this world where I am now, because as um, I'm not able to be in as many places as I wanted, as I could, is how do we then help them tell their story? So whether that's telling it to the NNO, telling it to Indy, telling it to, you know, um, WNC, you know, how do we use the power of narrative, you know, mm -hmm. which I believe is the most powerful force in the world, um, for them to then be able to be like, you know, um, you know, Miss Azaria Lunsford, who's a resident at Hoover Road on the front page, you know, of the NNO, and that, that got a reaction, you know, that right. got attention. Yeah. Right. Uh, and right. so seeing the ways in which their leadership develops, it just, I mean, and it's not that different from any other, I mean, part of the, the interesting thing with CAN is like, when people think of CAN, they think, of, they usually have like been in one of our like large, like public actions. So they're used mm -hmm. to like 600 yeah. people, like packed in, you know, Monument of Faith, or, you know, Duke Memorial, or First yeah. Press, or, you know, First Chronicles, and we're, you know, getting commitments from folks, but I think what people sometimes will not, will, well, what's easier to miss is that the work of CAN is really developing leaders and building our institutions. And so what happens at Hoover Road in terms of how, um, you know, folks, you know, are developing their leadership, they're developing their public life, they're developing their civic life. It's the same right. thing just with, any, with any other leader, it just happens that they just have a different address. Right. Um, and so for me, it's thinking about how, I mean, that's my work as an organizer, right? It's like, how do I create the opportunities for people to, to, to lead, you know, to exercise and to develop in their leadership. You're doing it. I mean, 
can I have a sappy moment really quickly? I'm a sap. Um, This reminds me so much of, you know, why I love social work and why I always say, you know, no matter what job position I'm in, I'm a social worker. Um, Because I think it is so important to hear people just affirm that it's okay to show up as your whole self. Like your whole self is more than enough. And this type of empowerment for folks, I think is just invaluable. Um, So thank you both for your commitment to really investing in people and pouring into them and really seeing them for them whole their whole selves and allowing them to be just that I think that is so incredibly powerful yeah and you know and I think yeah thank you I appreciate that I, I received that and I think it comes from the fact that you know I was raised so one of the greatest gifts my parents gave me was raising me in a village like raising me in a community of adults who created mm-hmm. a lot of safe places for me to grow and thrive and the fact is they weren't per- they weren't saints right they're you know they're they're you know they're um you know, they're, uh, they're subjects in their verbs and always agree, you know, they, you know, I mean, they, you know, they, they, they were human people, you know, they were just like multidimensional people in all their humanity. And they, and, and they, you know, instilled this deep sense of confidence in me and, and, and were just, um, yeah, we're just, you know, and just, and just inculcated this really strong sense of self. And so, um, and so I think that it's, that's so important that, and I think part of it is that we get these images and messages about what a leader is or what, how a leader looks or what, how a leader shows up. And often that we can then define ourselves out of that definition. Cause I'm like, well, I'm not tall, I'm not cisgendered, I'm not white, um, you know, I'm not hetero, um, you know, um, and, you know, and so, and, 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 and a lot of that work that I do is actually kind of convincing people, no, 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 like, you, you know, people, you know, you are, it has nothing to do with your title, it has nothing to do with your position, you know, it's about, do people follow you, do people trust you, I always joke about how, you know, a lot of people, you know, I was like, Mayor Shul might be the mayor of Durham, but, you know, Sherry Lawrence is the mayor of Hoover Road. That's right. And yep. there's, there's a lot of people who don't know who Mayor Shul is, but they know who Ms. Sherry yep. is. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. Um, um, so I guess my next question is, um, what are some metrics that you guys use to assess um, how effective your community organizing is? I know one pillar that you said was making sure that you were producing leaders. Do you guys have any other like KPIs that you're looking at as you are continuing to organize? Oh, wow. So <laughs> MBA, uh, McKinsey. Um, I mean, I mean, we do. And I think because it's this interesting thing where, so can we're, a, you know, we're organized as a nonprofit. And so I think because of that's just the environment that we're in. And, you know, we, we, we organize money in the forms of, you know, our dues from our member institutions, but, you know, raise money. Those are, you know, things I think about. And sometimes I wonder how we how to think about how we do metrics, because I'm like, does this make sense? Like, does this translate, you know, and, and right. um, I'll say for me in terms of what um, I pay attention to, I mean, the vast majority of my time as an organizer is spent having one-on-one relational meetings and nothing in CAN gets done without that. That is foundational. I literally just finished a training right before I came here. We're talking about, you know, building power. And I was just like reiterating and we're talking about relational meetings and what they are. And I just said, you know, this is the most radical thing that we teach. And it's the most fundamental thing that we teach. And going back to, I think BJ's um, first question to Reverend Condor about, like how do how do how do communities figure out what they want, right? If you know if they have police and what they want that to look like, you can't do that if you're not talking to your neighbors, right? You can't do that if you're not talking to your community members, if you're not talking to the institutions, you know, that are around you. And I think just to take a quick kind of rabbit trail commercial for institutions, because I'm a 
I call myself a, a millennial grandma. I barely make it in as a millennial. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm part of a generation that is not associating with institutions um, like prior generations, particularly when you talk about religious institutions. And so I right. spent a lot of time thinking about, um, uh, you know, the institutions, the breadth of the institutions that were organizing, the type of institutions organizing and how to expand that. Um, and so, but I think in a conversation about something like, um, specifically about like policing and gun violence, where you're basically, you could be in a, in a context where you're organizing a community that may even be more reluctant, right, to kind of come out and do that relational work just because of, you know, the, the trauma that's being recycled because of what's happening. Right. A mediating institution like, you know, a Y, a y or a um, neighborhood association or a um, boys and girls club or a mosque or a temple or, you know, a church can, can be not just symbolically, but physically can be that hopefully create that safe space to facilitate that type of those types of connections and that type of relating, particularly yes. if you have a leader in those institutions that's mindful. And I'm thinking about someone like Bishop Laney, like um, mm -hmm. who's a, a monument of faith or um, Pastor Lucas at First Chronicles, who truly sees the neighborhood as their parish, you know, not just that right. building, but that neighborhood that, that right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, getting off the rabbit trail, back to the main trail. <laughs> <laughs> Very good at that, the getting off on trails. Um, but um, so, um, so I would say just looking at, you know, I'm, I'm constantly asking people, are you having one-on-ones? Right, who, who have you talked to? Who have you a relational meeting with? You, this you know, so that's a big one is like, are we having relational meetings? Because nothing else gets done. That's right. fundamental. Um, the number and breadth of institutions that are members of our organization. So are we adding new institutions? What kind of institutions? Uh, both, you know, religious, non-religious, um, you know, types. Where in the city, you know, those institutions are, or in the county, they are located. Um, and um, in, in what we've mentioned before, like the, the leaders that we're developing, like how many, you know, new lead, how many folks have we moved, you know, from maybe like, you know, from, it's like that, uh, what's that, that program, like couch to 5k or whatever. I've never done it, but I've heard about it, but it's like this. I surely have not done it or heard about <laughs> it. 5k, like count me out. <laughs> so this idea of like getting this person, like if you're like literally not doing any physical activity, I guess right. the couch and like how to, like it's a training program to be able to like run, I guess a 5k. But it's like, in, in, as a metaphor, like how to get someone who maybe um, is in that stage of their public life, like maybe a little hesitant, not really engaged, not really, you know, talking to people, and then getting, and how we are we moving them, you know, kind of into this, you know, in, you know, into their development of their public life to where they're now. Like, I think of one, I have one leader in mind, uh, I'm thinking about who, you know, I've seen go from, you know, you know, I remember her telling me the first time, she's like, I spoke at my church for the first time, you know, and she was so proud. It was like, the first time she had like, you know, stood up there and now, and now she's in meetings with, you know, public officials and, you know, and I think, and because what happens is those relational meetings, it's the metrics, but it's also the practice of people taking risks. And that's yes. what a lot of this work requires and, and asks of us. And as you do that more and more, you're willing to take bigger, bigger, bigger risks, right? And so right. It's practicing that. And so anyway, so, but I would say those are, those would be the, my top three. I'll, I'll, Reverend Condor might have some, some in mind, but, you know, new letter, leaders, you know, that are leading um, number of institutions and the breadth of the institutions and relational meetings. Awesome. So, Reverend Condor, do you have anything to add? That yeah, you, well, one mean? big, huge echo, my obsession with work in CAN and my work outside of CAN 
is building institutions. And that, that is, uh, that's actually that word was a bad word to me, probably 15 to 20 years ago. Institution meant something had decayed, decayed, you know, to uh, decayed to the point of being bureaucratic or something like that. But institutions are often the lifeblood. And so I ask, are we helping institutions? Are they becoming enlivened because of our work? And then the simple one for me and is, are we discerning winnable issues that okay. we have enough power to win? And what are the value of those winnable issues, right? If so if we, we won a, a campaign to pick up a single Coke can off of the, uh, off the ground in, in a neighborhood, that's just not that valuable of a campaign, but are we right. discerning issues that are meaningful and are we finding a way to win? And are those, are those are the things that uh, as the strategy team and as a group of leaders, we're obsessed with, you know, and, and some of the things that, that Tinu have named, we think are incredibly significant, like, uh, uh, like investment in Haiti and, uh, and truly letting that investment look like, uh, have the, the, um, the value that other investments that our city has done and the community being part of designing that investment. We feel right. like that's an issue well worth winning. And, and we feel like uh, the topic of this, that we feel like uh, our work in criminal justice has, I mean, a lot of America has awakened to a criminal justice uh, problem in the last week, month, year, or whatever those things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're doing a good job when we're discerning uh, with good partners of something that's amiss, right? And thinking about what, what can we do about it. Awesome. And one more question, BJ, and then I swear I'm going to shut up. This is my last question for you guys. So for people that... So, I'm sorry. I know I feel like chatty Cathy and I'm like, I don't want to, you know, be asking all the questions, but this is just one more question that I feel like would be really important uh, for, for people that are listening and maybe want to get more involved. So let's say if I'm living in a neighborhood and I'm seeing these issues and I'm saying, I want to do something to make a difference. How would I, I guess, get myself introduced to somebody at Durham Can? Um, how would I get you guys involved in my neighborhood? Like, what does that process look like for folks? I'm smiling because it's like there's not one like not one you know kind of defined way I mean I think something about maybe just like the last few weeks in terms of how different folks come to know can I mean I think that um you know um sometimes it's because a person is connected to an institution that might have a relationship with can okay. um, so they might even if they live in one part of the city or the county or outside of the city or the county maybe they attend an institution that has a relationship with can um, you know, from, CAN from its beginning has had a long history and connection with Duke Divinity School. And so a lot of our early leaders um, <clears throat> were folks, particularly our clergy leaders, were folks were, that were connected um, to, to Duke Divinity. Um, and I think that um, it's weird. I think in some ways, it can go both ways. Like you can find us or we can find you. Because I'm thinking about some leaders now to where, like I will literally be, because that's my job, right? I'm looking for leaders right. all the time. So I'll be in a meeting and I'm paying attention and I'll notice like, I'm thinking one leader in particular um, who's, who's, who's been very active now, who I heard, you know, was at a meeting, he, he and I were at a meeting and he asked that kind of question. You know how you can always tell in class the people who read, you know, actually did the reading. Right. He, was like, well, he asked the question and I'm like, he did the reading, you know, like, right. and so, um, and it just so happened again, the universe, like I saw him two weeks later at the co-op Awesome. and I was like, okay, this isn't a coincidence, you know, and introduced myself. We had, you know, scheduled time. We had a relational meeting 
And, um, and to be honest, and I think the other thing too, and I think that we probably don't um, stress enough is like, in terms of going back, so I'm sorry, I'm taking another rabbit trail, I'm gonna bring it back. But uh, <laughs> back on the rabbit trail about mobilizing versus organizing is um, that organizing is like slow patient work. I think it was, mm -hmm. I can't remember if it was, Ella, I think it was Miss Ella Baker who talked about like spade work. Um, and so, um, so in some cases there might be a leader who I might have a conversation with and we'll, and we'll talk, but it might not be another year. And then all of a sudden it's just like, it's, it goes from like zero to a hundred like that. But it's, it's kind of like been this year of this, this whole process for of, of that relationship and folks kind of figuring out what are the things that are important to them. So anyway, getting back on the main trail. Um, <clears throat> I think practically speaking, if folks have heard, heard of us, um, they can you know, find us online and reach out and people do all the time. Like I get contacted about issues that like they're all good issues, but they aren't necessarily things that we either organize around or you know, part of it is like the issues that we work on we identify through a process of listening and, you know, which means they come from our, our leaders, not from like externally, you know, it's right. it. Mm -hmm. So, um, so there's folks that just reach out and that's fine. You know, um, we're always happy to, to meet folks. Um, but, um, and, and, and really, I mean, if, if, if people aren't connected with an institution, that's a can institution or um, know someone that's, you know, on the clergy caucus or a leader, they're always welcome, you know, to approach us and have those conversations. Because awesome. a lot of the a lot of the times, it's really explaining what it is we do. Because um, there are so many organizations in Durham, and we are a little unique in that one. We only we only have institutional membership. We have no individual members. Gotcha. Even, okay. Even people that come to Can as individual, like you got to get adopted. You got to get adopted. Okay. <laughs> you got to get. I'm not saying you got to go to church. I'm just saying you got to get somebody. Got to adopt you. Somebody. You got to get adopted. Right. Right. Um, and that's something that, that, that's very, um, that's like really distinct with us. The fact that we're broad based, um, and the fact that like, we're, we're, we are not, we are unapologetically about building power. Um, and so those, um, you know, so, so, so a lot of times it's helping people to understand like who we are as an organization and then figuring out like, oh, is this the right fit? Is this, you know, makes sense. But, um, I want to, I think something that you said, Harmony, about, I think it was one of the questions you asked Reverend Condor about um, supporting leaders. Like, I'll use one example. Like, one of the most, something that's been really inspiring recently is the organizing that's been going around um, with the, the Bragtown um, Neighborhood Association or Community Association around the, the development that was, um, that they basically got, you know, <clears throat> shut down in Bragtown. I don't know if y'all how familiar all with it. I think, obviously, folks who are live in Bragtown are probably really familiar with it, but you know, um, I, you know, I was getting emails, like, have you heard about Bragtown? Have you heard about Bragtown? Da, da, da. And I'm like, and a lot of that was just connecting people who were contacting me with each other. I'm like, well, y'all, you just, y'all live, you know, you need to talk and you meet this past or whatever. Um, and they, you know, they did what you do. They organized and, you know, they met with the developer, you know, the developer was like coming with this like really wimpy, I think they were going to put like 10 units of affordable, like some, like just like ridiculous, like 10 units of affordable housing. Like, no, that's not acceptable. This is what the community wants. This is what's going on in terms of rent. This is what's going on in terms of taxes. Like this is what the developer was like, nah. They went to the planning, shut it down. They went to city council, shut it down. And now they're talking to the land owners about buying the land and them developing oh, it. And I'm like, wow. yeah, that's yeah. exactly what you do, yes. right? And so yeah. whether that happens in the context of CAN or we can help support the leadership of other organizations that are doing that work, like I'm, like I'm for it. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. Wow. 
I, I knew this would be right up your alley. Mm -hmm. This is. Oh, you did? Yeah, I wanted, to, I thought it would be unprofessional. I was about to be like, are y'all hiring? You <laughs> <laughs> need an intern or something? <laughs> the answer to that is yes. <laughs> Harmony, if you called me up, one of the things, this is a trade secret, but I, I had a relational meeting with the person that Pinu was describing that she met uh, just three days ago. So that story is fresh in my mind. And here's a trade secret of exactly uh, what we would do is that when we meet somebody and have a relational meeting with them, one of the things that we're doing is not just having fun with them or getting to know or say we have common values, but we're asking the question of, is this person a leader? Uh, do they have passion? Do they have anger. And if they, if they have that passion and the anger, then we're discerning, are they willing to act on that? Right. right. And so uh, Harmony, you call me up. That's one of the things that was, would happen in a relational meeting. And I know exactly how it goes. This person has passion. They've got anger. They've got a vision and, and they want to act on it. And, right. and that impulse is so catalytic. Um, you asked me earlier about, you know, activities of like organized big social movements and social movements and protests have really good conversion power. They can convert people to want to do something, but the next step is the hard one, right? Is getting involved and making substantive change. And I'll brag on Tinu and us a little bit. That we do that well in terms of, uh, of people making that jump. When, when I showed up at a, um, a CAN meeting 15 years ago, uh, I, I was uninvited. I came with a friend. I'd heard that this was something significant, was pastoring a brand new church. And the next week I had three relational meetings and was helping lead the clergy caucus. Oh, wow. <laughs> the gap between being found and leading was so short and mm -hmm. love that. And, and that's, you know, sometimes it takes time to percolate, but we are, we're open for business in terms of the idea of wanting to develop leaders and, awesome. and to receive them. Yeah. I think we often have like the opposite problem, which is folks are almost like reluctant to exert, their leadership and I think mm -hmm. and I don't know if it's because of how we've been socialized and like mm. the messaging that we get in terms of like you know just kind of like staying in your place and not rocking the boat and whatever but I think I feel like I as a as a organizer have the opposite problem which is like getting people just like get over yourself like you know we're all adults and just lead like you know like you don't need my <laughs> friends to do it you know and so right. I find that's the opposite issue is like people understanding like no you no one's gonna like give you a pamphlet or a um, handbook or, you know, um, you know, just, you know, and people like, like helping people understand you don't need permission. You don't yes. need permission. And that is power, the ability to act. Right. Yes. Um, so. Yeah. I think Harmony, that was a good question I asked about, you know, what, what to do, how to get in contact. So I think that's probably a good way for us to segue, kind of starting our way out. But I think one of the last questions I want to ask is, I think Reverend Condor, you talked about it is, uh, I kind of want to get back into the lane of the popo world because it's I kind of like to stay in my lane. Mm -hmm. um, so are you guys working? I think Tin, you might have mentioned that the other day to me, but I, I mean, is there, like if somebody's like, you know, I'm really ready to, to do something, you know, I've, I've been outside doing, you know, in the streets and stuff. Now I'm ready to sit down. And I, and I know can, would I be able to knock on Reverend Condor's door and go, you know, I've been outside, you know, talking about the popo, now I'm ready to do something. Is there something already percolating in can around this discussion? Yeah, so do you want to go first, Reverend? No, uh, you go first. This is a, yeah, this is cooking. 
<laughs> oh gosh. So I'll say, so first I'm gonna go back and then go forward. So in some way, so um you know, so I went Reverend Connor away and just because he leads our jobs living wage team and that is focused particularly on a, on a population of folks that, um, although, and I know we're talking about police, but is, yeah. is that's tangential to this. Um, yes. and overlap. But um, yeah, so I, so I want to, and I want to root this in just our, our discipline of organizing because, you know, what happened, you know, so the, the concerns around police and gun violence that we're having as a community, um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, have not been any less of a, have not, have not, there's no reason for it to be more urgent now than it was last summer when Zion was killed or summer before that, or for my friends that grew up in Durham or whatever, mm -hmm. decades, right? right? Mm -hmm. um, and um, for Can, um, you know, this conversation um, has been rooted in, in our um, discipline of organizing being really rooted in relationship and building relational power. Um, and so two, um, two shootings um, that I'm aware of that have happened of many in the last weeks and months happened next to First Chronicles Community Church, um, which is one of our, our um, institutions. And it wasn't until about a week after I found Pastor Lucas had shared the information, I realized that one of the um, young men that's been murdered this summer um, is the son of, one, of a leader that's been very involved um, with wow. that I know. So as soon as I found that out, you know, it was like, okay, well, let's, I just need to make sure, check in, make sure you're okay, how can we support, and, um, and, you know, Ms. Laverne was like, I mean, she was just like, I've emailed the mayor, I've reached out to Middles, you know, she was just, she was like, she was, you know, she was, um, you know, pretty, she's, she's been pretty fired up, um, and so I think, so for me, I feel like the, you know, and her neighbor was a witness to it. And so there's just a lot of mm. balancing of wanting to be respectful of their grieving and the trauma that they've experienced. Um, and also I feel like the most important thing for me right now is to just shut up and listen. Mm -hmm. Um, because the reality is, is that, um, you know, there was a conversation that the city council had about, um, specifically a specific, specifically about shot spotter specific technology that's been, um, you know, raised as, um, you know, a solution. And I think they did a great job of really speaking to the breadth and the spectrum of opinions in our community on these issues, right? Um, everywhere from abolitionists to, you know, people who think everyone has, should have their own, you know, security detail, you know, and everything in between. And I think they spoke to the nuance and the complexity of this. And so, but for, for me, from where I can, Right now, we are engaged in that deep, you know, where it all starts for us, which is that deep listening, right? Those one-on-one -on -one relational meetings, um, you know, which may or may not grow into a listening session, but that that deep listening um, and, and, and some research as well. Um, but for us, that's where it's been, where we, we, we sense, like everyone, that, you know, as a community, we sense we, some, we have to do something. We have, like, there's this very, like, we feel it, like this intense. Right. And, but, and we also understand, though, and it feels, I'll say it's hard because it almost feels like a luxury in some ways to be able to say, to take the time to do all these things as opposed to something more reactionary because, you know, for, for people's real lives, it's, it's a very urgent issue. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, we've just, we've been doing that, that listening. And, and I think what's important for us is that, and, and, and this is carry on to the theme of other things, is like the voices of those most impacted by the issue being centered in um, in the conversations and in the solutions. Um, Absolutely. Uh, Reverend Condor, do you want to add anything 
Yeah, I, just reiterating, it's, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm your underliner today, I guess, uh, Tina, <laughs> so well, is that we are, when I look back on some of the change that happened around 2013 and 2014 related to policing and brought Chief Davis to us and some of that work, what was really powerful about it, sometimes it was very challenging, but was that we were listening to institutions like uh, the, the command, the police officers, and they, I, I, I was a part of like, nine or 10 meetings with in, in terms of the police. Like for example, um, a, a, one of the officers who had, had been, um, PJ, you might know this person, it was a, a large man, uh, African-American man, who was uh, second, third or fourth, you know, it was a high level of command. He was telling us in one of our meetings how nervous he was when he was pulled over by the police driving near Duke University on 15501. He was a large tight end, you know, kind of guy who is in charge. The person who was pulling him over was probably one of his command, but he still had fear. And mm -hmm. in, the, in the accountability of those listening inside the institution of the police, as well as affected community members, that's where the synergy of change began to occur. And so that's what's on, on my mind is I'm with a group of people that are researching what's happening up and down the coast, as well as listening to activist voices in Durham, as well as police voices in Durham, because that's that it's that broad-based listening where often that critical issue winnable, changeable thing can happen that's meaningful. And so that's what we're doing. And it's, it's not obvious to me what, what we need to do next. But so often the, when the style of organizing is uh, organizing alongside community members, I'm being willing to bet that there are community members who know exactly what needs to happen and mm -hmm. what, what, what should be done. And, and, and by our doing that, uh, we're providing a, a, a kind of a, a way for them, a bridge for them to interact with, whether it's more policing, less policing, a different type of policing that needs to happen in their community. Cool. Absolutely. Cool. And I think a good way to tie this all together, BJ, just really quickly, is that when we think of, you know, the, the specific issues that Durham can helps mobilize and train people, you know, to lead on, you're thinking of things like low income, lack of access to things like water, food, um, healthcare, and these are the things that do kind of drive deviant or criminal behavior. So, you know, I think that your work is so integrally important to the work that we're doing, which is really to, to teach people how to interact with police. Um, although, you know, I, I'm sure that we all can see and acknowledge that you can do the exact right thing and right you know, the consequence can also be death, but, you know, I, I like that Durham can, instead of being reactionary and saying, let's collect more cans, let's get more book bags, is saying, let's get to the root of the issue so that we don't have to keep playing almost like ping pong yeah. back and forth, back and forth, where there's no real, you know, leverage, there's no real change. Um, so, yeah, I just thought that that was important to kind of bring it back to UM50 and show how our missions are, even though, you know, different, are, are incredibly aligned. Yeah, I mean, I think we've been we've seen it a lot right this summer with just how we've adapted our work in light of COVID because our work mm -hmm. is very like in person, face to face. So we've we've mm -hmm. learned how to we've had to like disorganize and reorganize how we do our organizing. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, but just seeing how even though we have like these three separate action teams, they they keep coming and like getting more and more closer in the spin diagram. And like I was having a conversation with our affordable housing and our criminal justice co-chairs this morning talking about this action that's coming up. <clears throat> for that very reason that you just lifted, like when I was talking with Pastor Lucas, um, 
after those shootings, like we were, we were talking about violent, how violence shows up in communities, um, but in beyond guns. And we started talking about Faye Place, you know, and we started talking about the symbol of those 20 acres um, in terms of, you know, what it, like chronic disinvestment and exclusion. Mm -hmm. um, and I see it, you know, in, being in Durham Housing Authority communities and just seeing a different extreme of Durham than kind of the Chamber of Commerce, you know, no, sh no shade to Chamber of Commerce, but just like a different, you know, narrative of Durham that people, you know, can understand and understanding that, you know, I feel like we're in a time right now that's such a, it's about like a crisis of leadership. And I think, um, you know, that, you know, one, it's important for fo that folks know that they're seen. And I think it's important for leaders to understand that they don't get to choose, you know, uh, to be the leader of the ribbon cutting and the, you know, throwing out the first pitch at the baseball game and, you know, like the, all the fun, you know, you know, fun parts, you know, of Durham without also understanding, like, none of that happens without also other folks in our community. And right now they're catching hell. Right. And you're the mayor, you're the the housing authority director, you're the county commissioner, you're the city manager, you're the, you know, county manager of, of those folks too. Um, and so, um, but yeah, I agree. I think, and I think that that's what we're, that's the need, the threat, the, the needle we're trying to thread. <laughs> so whatever. Happy Monday. <laughs> Harmony, when we do that, when we close the line between uh, people with elected power in neighborhoods, that is uh, infamously, I, I, there's a beautiful long story that I won't tell, but the work that our sister organization in Baltimore had done around jobs began with with basically listening to kids on the on the corners and stoops mm. that were were selling drugs right and they right. were um, yeah. and um, they went to the powers that be and said here's what we're hearing uh, people are telling us again and again and again they don't want to do that they understand that people don't live very long in that vocation yeah. they need jobs yeah. and east and west baltimore had 55 percent unemployment which wow. is double what the depression was, right? I mean, the post-industrial Baltimore did not have jobs. And they went to power and said, we don't need interdictive, um, uh, amped up policing. We need jobs. We need a jobs campaign. And, 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 and so that's the kind of things that you learn if you really want to ask people who are affected people, because what you'll learn is that they are not, especially if you came into that setting uh, with a criminalized mindset, um, you would find that these people are, are, are not that those people kind of thing to you. These, this is labor. This is your friend. This is your friend's kid. This is, this is, this is a part of you. And that's the beauty of organizing is that, you know, um, getting close to people that might have a dramatic cultural or social distance from, from where you live your life and powers that be dominant power can do lots of wonderful things without asking, uh, how does this impact, um, every citizen in our community and what citizens are not on my mind when I'm thinking about this, who do I not have contact with? And yes. you know, one of the things that's really beautiful, if you'll watch our press conference uh, at um, in front of First Prez, uh, Miss Sherry <laughs> is talking to the uh, DHA and saying, you have to see me. You have to see the, the, the experience that I have, how I'm living and why do you not plan based on the relationship that we should have together? Totally, cool. 
I think it's good. I mean, everything. I mean, this has been a really good conversation. And the last thing I like to say, what you you just kind of tie in what you guys just said about seeing each other and the 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 police part. At least from my perspective, you know, you talk about the Boston. I think the jobs, right? So if you give if the powers do that part, the need the defunding of law enforcement will happen naturally because you know because they're no longer selling drugs. So you don't have to increase law enforcement to try to to deal with that. So if you take care of those needs in that power form that can give people jobs, mental health, take care of the substance abuse, then the natural attrition is that you don't need to fund as much police. Uh, so what the work that you do, I, I don't know if you'll be able to at some point, the pie in the sky was relate that to, to the decrease of law enforcement and, and decreasing crime. If people are taken care of and getting their needs met, because uh, everybody, like you said, everybody just wants to do what they do. And um, yeah, so thank you guys. Andrew, this has been a BJ and Harmony show today. Uh, so <laughs> So you good? Yeah, I'm good. I'm, I took a lot of notes, so I appreciate y'all for coming and talking to us. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you for inviting Thanks, us. Andrew. Yeah, well, yeah, because I knew, like I said, I knew Harmony was going to, I told Tenu about you, Harmony, I said, you know. Oh, I hope it was good. Lord have mercy. <laughs> well, I was going to ask, I was like, did she get her van yet? Or her, um, oh, oh, my no. bus, yes, <laughs> no. I'm in a regular apartment, like, living like a normal person, and I'm yeah. kind of, I think I'm getting too used to it. I'm like, can I? Yeah. Can I live on a bus now? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So thanks, thanks to to you, Rev, and thanks to you, Tenu, for joining us on you and Five. I really appreciate it. And thanks to you, uh, those of you that are listening. We really appreciate it. And all, and as always, be well and uh, peace. We just got through listening to our friends at Congregations Association Neighborhood Can. And since that recording, the verdict for Brianna Taylor has come in. And I think we had mentioned earlier that we do every two weeks, but we kind of just wanted to just pop back in real quick and, and just briefly kind of how we're feeling about the verdict. Um, we don't have our, my other cohort, Harmony Chavis with us tonight, uh, but uh, Andrew and I, just about how we're feeling about the verdict. Um, I think um, everybody has an opinion, everybody's emotional. The type of verdict I was a little uh, when I first heard the the charges of the the officer I immediately thought that he was being charged with actually killing Brianna but it turned out that it was that was not the case it was because he had uh, well shot fired into a bill occupied space uh, and based on the information I've read so far the his his uh, bullets were not the ones that struck um, Brianna, so I was a little shocked about that. So, um, Andrew, any thoughts on that? I mean, we'll, you know, just kind of any thoughts about how you feeling about that? Um, I guess I was at work when I when I got the notification because I have like three different media um, apps on my phone, so I get information from different sources. So I got like two of them at once, and I, it kind of just shocked me to see, I guess, like the verdict as as it came. And I was really, really, I guess, shaken to see that it wasn't what I expected it to be. Um, I think that's where I messed up was to have my expectations kind of high just because of how how heavy um, just the protests and things and thinking that justice would have been served in a way that I guess not really would have solved an issue because this is a like systematic thing. So it is nothing's gonna happen like over a systemic thing and not gonna happen overnight. So I understand that, but I guess like just seeing it 
kind of opened my eyes to realizing that like one that one thing cannot be the solution if that makes any sense like the verdict regardless of what it would have been i don't think that it would have caused all police brutality to cease or anything to kind of stop like things have to be deeply rooted change deeply rootedly changed um and it kind of opened my eyes to that and i think my expectation were i was hoping that things would have happened a little bit i guess like stronger or deeper things or the justice that would have been served could have been i guess more not as more in a way but it's my thoughts are like all over the place because i was kind of sad reading it and things seeing how society took the verdict and 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 ran with it and they were very, like people were very upset and seeing how um they weren't i guess in similar to mine they weren't expecting this to happen um so i'm at a blank to think like i'm, I'm it's hard for me to wrap my mind around it because like, i want to think positively but then like i, I don't want to say that this is the end because i don't believe people will stop fighting for her and fighting for the justice that is to be had This is a lot. I think it's just my brain's trying to wrap around like all that time. Yeah, I know it. It is a lot, and I I, I get all of that because I was really having a bad day, um, and luckily for me, I, I had an appointment with my my counselor, which kind of allowed me to vent a lot to kind of get that out. Because also, what I what was also going on, not only with the the verdict and and you know not the actual you know there were no charges, but being from law enforcement, I, I kind of understand that based on the current laws. And, it, you know, people are, I think the lawyer, not the lawyer, but the attorney said, you know, basically he quoted and said that every tragic wrong does not necessarily find a cure in the criminal code. And, I, you know, nobody really wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that the current laws on the book uh, don't fit this this incident. And, and there are a lot of, I think Harmony, when we did this before, there were a lot of policy failures that did not occur to these officers. You know, no cameras there, didn't check to see if the guy they were looking for was there. I mean, it was th those are not guided by criminal law. So they, they had to apply things to that. And, and, I, and then the shooting of the officers, to me, that, that just kind of took the wind out of me because those officers... I mean, that's not going to solve anything by shooting police officers, you know, and, you know, taking black lives is, isn't really solving anything. So for me, it was just all of that and trying to navigate how, to, you know, people trying to understand that it's emotional, something, something went wrong, but the legal experts and unfortunately the laws that are currently that we, are, that we live on a state and constitutional they had a warrant. They were legally there because of the warrant. The gentleman fired at them. They have a right to, to defend themselves. All of that is covered under law. And so the conversation, I think, has to be, at least from my perspective, how do we figure out how to create either laws that govern more of what law enforcement officers do and reform that, 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 you know that maybe I was just listening to a friend of mine and maybe you don't need to shoot 32 times right you know what I'm saying uh, that that's just and what what could be put in place that penalizes if you're not usually as you're trained as an officer you you shoot twice to see if your target is down and you and then you shoot again if the target isn't down mm -hmm. you know but you just don't 
unload a volley of rounds. Um, so I guess it was just all of that as a, as a you know, being black, being law enforcement and trying to, you know, how, how do we hold somebody responsible for this, but yet we got to do what's currently on the books. Right. I, I think that's, it's something that I was in conversation with around peers, my, like people who are around my age where um, just thinking about like the, the, the verdict that happened and the, the option, the optional sense that, not sense, sentence that was given to the, the officer, like um, we were discussing how there were some cases where um, people who were convicted of, of drug felons and things like that were sentenced to larger charge, charges than he was. And it's, and it's, it's sad to me to think that she like had to lose her life for all this to happen. Um, and something that we also talked about was that the fact that like other brands and like celebrities and things have been using Black Lives Matter, Breonna Taylor's name to, to kind of boost their names. Like Nike kind of used them mm. um, to boost um, for marketing as well too, just to get like, I feel like just to get the Black support. Um, and it's like so many right. things that are used as, as I guess like a tag just to be able to get other things when they're still not justice served for the first thing that we were fighting for. Um, yeah, that, yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we need to move toward trying to figure out, we need to get justice for Brianna. What does that look like? They have the Brianna law now about um, making sure you have your cameras, no not warrants. Uh, so to I me, mean, so things have, are changing because of her death, but I think there's still a lot more and we've got to get through, you know, I think for me, when people start taking a breath and we sit down at the table and we just figure out, you know, what do the laws say? What kind of police reform do we need to have um, as we move forward? So these types of tragedies, I can't, I, I would be remiss if I said they're not going to happen again because in law enforcement, it's unfortunately, um, you know, you got human beings behind guns. <laughs> so things like this, unfortunately, may end up happening again. And we, we just got to figure out what that's going to look like in order to, for communities to feel like there's a path toward accountability, that there's something's in place that can at least hold somebody responsible for this moment. And I think that's, I think that's an, important that we, people just want somebody to be held accountable. Right. I think so. You know, yeah. Not, I mean, yeah, administratively policy and procedure, but is there some legal path that needs to be created that can take care of some of this stuff? And, yeah. and that's the conversation I think we have to have. And people are not ready to have that conversation, I don't think, right. you know? I think so. Yeah, I agree with you about the accountability thing. I think now I don't know if it will ever happen, but I think that's what most people were expecting when they were awaiting the a verdict or multiple verdicts. They were thinking that the people who acted upon this would be held accountable for their actions. But it's almost as it's almost as if like they're getting a slap on the wrist for something. Like they to me, I I could I should do more research, and I feel like um I didn't look too much into I guess the how that session went in regard to finding the verdict, but. Um, it's like they didn't even acknowledge the fact that like they killed Brianna or like, you know what I'm saying? Like when you look at this, the verdict that was given, it was endangering human life or like you had no care for human life. And okay. of course I understand that, um, but the, there was someone who was murdered and that, I don't know, I don't know if that was ever said or as ever mentioned, but in that connotation that brings upon like someone who was murdered should have a heavier weight in my opinion. Right. 
Yes, I, I think for me, the conversation is, you're right, people are using the word murder, and I, I was just reading Shaquille, or, um, Shaquille and uh, Barkley were talking about, you know, homicide, because they, they keep saying murder, when in fact, it doesn't fit, the, they want, people want a murder charge, but it right. doesn't fit, you know, you have to have intent, and so right. I think just trying to educate folks, and again, nobody really is ready to listen, the thing we the thing that I want is I want to figure out what, what, if there is a charge charge, so it sticks, you don't want to charge and it doesn't stick. <laughs> so and you just, and, and where we are in these moments right there, that there's nothing applicable to be able to hold them accountable except policy failures, which isn't a crime. And then things that like this guy's in danger by shooting into a property kind of like is that all you got is that all is that all, all that's on the books that you can get to hold them accountable because everything else they had a legal warrant which means they were had a legal right to be there and then someone shot at them and it unfortunately may not like it it allows the officer to return fire um right. and not, none of that is comfortable for people to hear right now and and i don't even feel comfortable you know to be the person that says it out loud but i'm just trying to figure out so what is it, it it's reform sitting at a table you know i try to stay away from voting but voting for folks that are going to do police reform and that's going to be a difficult thing to do we got to figure out put people in and understand things have got to change and what does that look like and it's holding people accountable so stuff like so people can at least feel like okay somebody's held accountable for screwing up right I agree too. Yeah. That's something that you mentioned right then. And I was also thinking about it and talking to some of my other peers. Um, was kind of we kind of got into a discussion about like hypothetically speaking, let's say that this this man or these men were charged with murder. Um, and then I was in conversation with they they had went to court for this charge, would they have gotten off because of the, mm -hmm. the evidence was that was proven? So mm -hmm. I I when we talked about a little bit um off camera and off microphone about like they were charged with something else, like they probably would have gotten off and then the charge that was given was, like you said, the most applicable charge that we, that could have been given. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I guess that's the conversation I've been having is, if they were charged with murder, they would walk free. <laughs> like they would, they wouldn't be charged with anything, and well, they wouldn't be sentenced with anything at the end of the day. But <sighs> like you said, yeah. it's just deeply rooted change that just needs to happen because so that this won't happen in the future. Yeah, it's just everybody. Hopefully, you know, it's you know, we just we got to process it and and try to get through this and and so we can do this in honor and memory of, of Brianna Taylor that her death doesn't go without having some kind of change police change police reform or something uh, because something in this event clearly went wrong and we just got to figure out beyond administrative policy and procedure what kind of other path of accountability can we have for law enforcement and so yeah so I appreciate you taking the time to talk about this because it, it's it I think we all were kind of real I know I was real heavy when that mm -hmm. verdict came out I had a hard time that day I had a hard time because I just didn't understand why somebody why some charges weren't made until I you know started kind of listening to why and what they charged so right anyway so you know and hopefully in honor of Breonna Taylor there will be some changes in the future of police reform as we move forward so thanks for this for this taking the time and, and we just like so something happens every now and then and we want to get back on and just put our two cents out there with the rest of the world as we sit around and process these moments um, as we hopefully 
move toward uh, better relationships with, with law enforcement and making them the kind of law enforcement communities want to have. So, I agree. Yeah. Uh, so as always, stay well. Peace.